Hey students, welcome to episode 17 of the Film Student Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Lazzaroni. This week's episode is the last one before the fall submission deadline for the Harold Ramis Film School on May 31st. So this month, I've been interviewing a few graduates of HRFS to find out what they got out of the program while they were here and what they're up to now. I'm rounding out the month of May with Logan Bowes from the Purple Cohort. We talk about making films in Mobile, Alabama, battling with IMDb, and the tale of, quote, the Walmart ninja incident, unquote. Now, fair warning on this one, Logan and I are kind of gear nerds, so we spend a good chunk of time in this episode nerding out on film equipment. So if you happen to be a film nerd, you might enjoy this one. If you're not, feel free to hit that fast-forward button. You have been warned. On with the show. So old school. I think I you're, you're my first purple uh, person hey, on here. Hey, so, all right. Uh, so wait. Also so, like the only one that hangs around that people know because I'm always that's, here. That's not. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's not maybe, maybe the true. only purple. Uh, Dax is still. Dax is. <laughs> yeah. Dax he, is purple. He, he was blue. He was blue. Okay. Yeah. Who else was in purple? Uh, who do you want to know? Uh, as far as people that might be around. Yeah. Second City, Matt Gold is up here writing a lot. Okay. Uh, but he's usually with his writing partner mm-hmm. uh, in a room quietly. Sometimes he's here and I don't even know it. And I'm here at the same time, and I'll never see him. It's like, oh, I was up there for five hours. Like, so was I. And I appreciate that we're just collecting matte colors because we yeah. have Matt Gold and Matt White. Oh, we do, don't that. we? Yeah. How about so that? We've got that. We also have two Brideys, which is just weird to yeah, me. I know. It's nuts. That somehow so, a name that I've never heard and before. And, there, and, there, and in our cohort, there were two Mitchells. Really? Mitchell Stone and Mitchell Beckett. We've got uh, we've got two Dans, but they're spread across Magenta and, yeah. and Cyan. So yeah. not too many Dans. It's, it's, it's a very name-heavy school here they have uh very, very interesting modal. like coincidences and names in yeah. this school so yeah but uh so yeah i'm i'm curious how how did you end up coming to uh harold ramus like because uh, you, you came in with some production background yeah before this. yeah <clears throat> basically uh like i'm pr- pretty old <laughs> the- theoretically speaking, like a lot of people don't realize i'm 35 years old i'm only a year younger than you so yeah but <laughs> Like anytime I tell that, they're like, "Wow, you're that old!" It's like, "Yeah, I'm. I've been around." Yeah. Uh, but basically, I went to school in Mobile, Alabama, at the University of South Alabama. Okay. Uh, and I majored in film and TV. Uh, not a tremendous program. Uh, you know, they had a focus on broadcast journalism, which I didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was boring as hell to me. I just, I can't stand doing news, yeah. like video-wise. It's just so boring. Yeah. Um. But the the one good thing that that thing did is it made me realize I wanted to be a filmmaker. I wanted yeah. to make, you know, s- s- tell stories and stuff like that. So I tried making it work in Mobile after I graduated. Uh, I started my own production company, web and video production, because I knew to do websites too. Mm-hmm. And that was a struggle because it's a very small market. There's not really a market for video production because the the only market that is there, like the contracts yeah. are already with the two production companies in town. Yeah. And they're only two and they're very small outfits that only hire like three people in their entire and Alabama outfit. hasn't cycled into their, into the, uh, the national move, which is give a whole bunch of discounts to, yeah. uh, to production companies to come start using the state. And oh, then well, well, they actually do have tax incentives. That's a thing. Uh, yeah. Uh, that was the thing. I, uh, I pretty much was just a freelancer. I started working with some of my friends, uh, new on films. Uh, it's a bunch of friends from Bio Battery, mm-hmm. and they're very talented people. They went to Full Sail, and they just are always trying to innovate mm-hmm. and do like there's there were so many things that we tried to do between like 2012 and 2014 
that was just ahead of its time and we're like, oh, I don't know if this is going to be a thing. And now it's just like the norm. Like yeah. we were trying to do 360 degree live videos in 2012 when the yeah. technology wasn't there. We're like, we can make this work. We just need R&D money, which there isn't any in Alabama for that. And now what do you got? You got live 360. You can do it on your phone with Facebook. Yeah. You know, and so we were trying to do all that and we were just like, we didn't have the resources or the and There's something to be said so. for being like right on time for that stuff exactly. too, for that technology because there, there is such thing yeah. as being too early. There's, such, there's definitely such thing as being too late, but there's like some people that just luck out and just yeah. dive into something. Absolutely. I was just talking to a, a, a friend on the, on the train home uh, last night and it was, uh, he was talking about how he, uh, he used his credit card to, uh, to get onto the L train yeah. because he's got a RFID chip that's yeah. included in the card. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, I was, I was testing stuff like that back when I was in college back in like 2006, 2007, yeah. uh, and, and covering, um, you know how how you could actually use RFID chips embedded in credit cards. We were using it for like advertising purposes and stuff like yeah. that. The fact that you could take like the Internet of Things, the information that's out there about mm-hmm. your profile that's attached to your credit card in any way, shape, or form, and then have somebody like walk past a an ad board and have that ad board customize the ads for that person that's based some on the Minority Report shit, right there. It is, and that's literally <laughs> like where we got the idea. It was from Minority Report when yeah. he's walking through. Now in Minority Report, they were doing it for you yeah, know retinal scans, and- uh, but for this one, we were just saying, well, like, RFID chip that's actually something that's likely going to end up in credit cards sure enough you know yeah. six seven years later but at the time it was way ahead of, of yeah. any of that stuff you know yeah. it, it was something that that we were using it um the projects that they had um i remember one of the ones was like a f- like fish on a wall mm-hmm. and you could go up to the wall and you could like wave a wand around and the fish would follow the wand but they yeah. were all digitally like just they were yeah. projected up on the wall and so it was just following it based on like proximity to, to different rfid sensors yeah uh, and so yeah, it was, it's just really, it's interesting. We were just too early with that stuff. Yeah, you know, if we would have waited yeah. five years and had that same idea. Well, 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 it's not even that it was too early. It's just that there's. It, well, I mean, I guess it is too early in the sense that people see it and they're like, I don't know about this, you know, and then it becomes the norm. Yeah. And and also just being in an area like Alabama, there's no one there to invest in advanced technology. Right. It's not the place to be. And that's not where the investors are. They're more of a, you know, blue collar, you know, area. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we were just doing that. But we were also just like trying to make our own short films. We we had this project called Broken Balance that we made a fake trailer for so that we could try and drum up financing. Mm-hmm. And people were like, wow, this is amazing. What'd you guys spend on this? Like you had to spend like at least like 50 grand on this trailer. It was like, no, we didn't spend anything. Yeah. It was free. Uh, we did it all ourselves, all the visual effects. Like we were just super DIY doing mm-hmm. everything ourselves and people were so impressed but they never wanted to invest they nobody wants to be the guinea pig that invests in someone for the first time right. so you almost need to lie and tell them it was fifty thousand yeah, dollars and, yeah, and absolutely. They, oh. when they ask what like what investors do you have it's well, like, well that's happened like a, a buddy of ours shot a and this is what, kind of the impetus for everything that's kind of happened a buddy of ours shot a horror film a low-budget horror film on canon t2 eyes mm-hmm. uh this is way back in like 2011 2012 yeah, that was my like that. first camera was a t2 eye. yeah same here uh 70 and a t2i um and they shot it for like fifteen thousand dollars ten thousand fifteen thousand mm-hmm. like in all of that money like the majority of that money went to pay uh the actor richard tyson who you might remember as the bad guy from kindergarten cop um <laughs> Okay. If, if you saw his face, you'd recognize like, yeah, oh, that yeah. guy's been in everything. He was That's, in Black Hawk Down and all that stuff. There's a ton of those actors. But he's a local Mobile guy. He's from Mobile. Okay. So, but he's also a alcoholic wild card. Um, oh, really? He, yeah, he's crazy. Um, 
I actually worked on a commercial with him. Uh, he's, he's nuts. And, uh, but they made that and they sold it to like a distributor and they made like, you know, a hundred thousand, something like that, like a Redbox distribution deal yeah. back when Redbox was useful. Well, I guess it's still useful to mm-hmm. a degree, but streaming is becoming more prevalent. But they did that, and we're all sitting here trying to get our thing off the ground. We're like, we need like 250000 We just need this. We want to hit the tax incentive because the state does have tax incentives. Mm-hmm. It's $500,000. Right. And they're like, yeah, it's $500,000 state tax incentives. Like, well, how does that help the independent filmmakers? We don't have half a million dollars sitting around. Right. You know? So we were trying to drum up interest, do this fake trailer, do that. And we came so close so many times to getting just even minor investments. Mm-hmm. And everything just fell through. And then I was just like, what, what, what the fuck are we doing? Like, our friend shot a horror movie for $10,000 on a fucking DSLR, mm-hmm. and we have a Red Scarlet and access to even better cameras and equipment that our friends have that we've done so many favors for that they will just let us use. Why don't we just shoot something? Why don't we just put our money together and just shoot something? Right. So we shot a feature film. I produced it. Our, my buddy Sith, his, that's real name. Uh, that's him messaging me right now. Um, <laughs> he... Uh, he directed it. He's like the super talented guy who can literally do anything. Right. Like we had to do uh, like this whole sound mixing thing for this project, and we hired a guy that turns out didn't know what he was doing. Mm-hmm. And in order to save it, Sith had to teach himself Pro Tools, and he taught himself Pro Tools in eight hours and did it himself. <laughs> like that's just who this guy is. So he's like super talented, and uh, so we made this movie on a shoestring budget of like fifteen thousand dollars. Yeah. Feature film. I actually showed like the trailer to Trevor. He's like. How much did you guys make this for? It's like fifteen thousand. He's like, "Are you kidding me?" So, yeah. So we had like <laughs> we had resources, we have talent, and so we made that. And now that's sort of being in the hands of sales agents trying to get distribution. Yeah. But now, like I'm up here, they're down there, and like we're trying so hard to make stuff happen, it never happened. So I always wanted to move back to Chicago because I was from the area. I was born in the suburbs. Okay. Uh, and I always wanted to move back my whole life, but I never really had a reason to. Mm-hmm. And one of my college friends who became an actor moved here, and he was in the conservatory here. Okay. And he said, hey, man, I know you've always wanted to move here. They're starting this film school called the Harold Reynolds Film School. You should check it out. And I was like, oh, I heard about that. Because once it was announced, like once it the first press release, mm-hmm. I saw it on like No Film School and a few other like trade websites. Yeah, yeah. And I ju- it just kind of slipped my mind. And he's like, you should check this out. It's pretty cool. So then I looked into it. I was like, this is pretty cool. So I applied. I tried to get into the first term, uh, but I got accepted for the second term. So they accepted me before the first term started. Like, we're going to put you in the second term. I was like, great. Yeah, I got deferred from the from the first term. And then they asked me if I wanted to resubmit for the for the second one with kind of like the, you should do this. But at that yeah. point in time, I'd just gotten a new job. And I was like, I wanna, yeah. I don't want to just go bail on them for right out. So I was like, I'll give them at least a year. Then I'll reapply. Yeah. Yeah. So. So. Yeah, that's how I got here. And that was the thing, like, no, there just wasn't anything happening. Like, there was mm-hmm. nothing cooking for us down there. Like, we're still, we're going to finish up the movie. We, we, we knew it would get in the hands of sales. Agents. We knew that mm-hmm. it would get distribution. But the whole point was I would come up here for a year, and I was like, I would like to live here but still work with you guys down there. So hopefully by the time I'm done, the movie will sell, and then we'll get investments from people because now, hey, we've sold a movie. Right. It's like, okay, I will invest in you. And that's kind of what's happening right now. They oh, really? just... He, I don't know, you know how secure it is, but he says like, yeah, we have seven hundred grand to shoot our next movie in October, and we're trying to get five hundred grand more as long as we can get an actor attachment. Nice. And, and if we do that, we can get a pre-sale. So they're looking at shooting like a one point two million dollar movie. Wow. Which, yeah, it's great. But 
all this stuff, all all this other crazy stuff that happened immediately after I left, they got uh, seed money to do augmented reality and virtual reality development. Nice. So they now have an office in like this co-op office space where the company Third Rome Creations. Yeah. They're doing that. They actually uh, there's this very famous nanny named Nanny Connie. She's a nanny to the stars. Okay. She's been on morning shows and stuff. She just put out a book. She's from Mobile, Alabama. She has an office in the same thing in the same place and yeah. they did like augmented reality development for her new book so they got all these connect <laughs> and through these connections he like went out on tour with her to like to like showcase the augmented yeah. reality stuff and he's like meeting all these people and so all this great stuff that we were trying to make happen while i was there is happening now that i'm gone right so maybe i'm the bad luck guy no uh <laughs> no but but that that just seems to be the mo. Like a- anytime I leave a place, whether it's an apartment complex or a school or this, like all this awesome shit happens that I wish happened. The while grass I was is in. always greener, though. Yeah. I mean, it's that's oh, not to say I'm, like I'm, it's I'm not out of the picture. I was just talking. I was like, well, what do you need me to do for this? Like, I'll do whatever. Like, I'll come down. I'll work on it. He's like, yeah, absolutely. We're gonna. Do it's this. not even like like out, so. out of the picture. That's that's one of those things. I, that's a that's like a. Um, a mental gymnastics type thing that, yeah. that like whenever you do leave something it's uh i've been watching brain games a lot recently because uh, <laughs> it's all streaming on netflix so i watched like the entire like first season of that or mm-hmm. couple no second season because the first first season two of my friends are actually in it oh, and nice. just showed up on screen i was like oh hi jordan and amanda hi okay <laughs> uh but <laughs> but uh um uh, like i was watching season two and they were talking about how the brain will just kind of make connections in order to there's like a we're, we're somewhat geared towards like FOMO, like the, the just the fear of missing out of, of whatever it is yeah. to the point where the decisions that we make, uh, we the brain wants it to be simpler. And so it will often make decisions that, that it, it will justify as saying this is the best thing because it, it simplifies and it makes yeah. it easier for us as opposed to. But then we're kind of conditioned by social media then to search for FOMO, yeah. to like search for those other things that uh, yeah. that, that then you know we're missing out on and yeah. so that you it, it's i think that that could be like you saying all this great stuff was oh, happening yeah. it's like okay but there was there was some good stuff that probably happened to you while you were oh, there 100%. too yeah that, that's the thing it, and it, so it, it's just like well th- there it goes you know we try for four years to get all this financing and as soon as i leave we get it right you know it's like but uh, i'm not i'm still involved it's it's yeah. fine i'm it's fine so the the dream is coming true. They're making movies down there, and I'm going to be working on them. I'm still going to be living in Chicago. That was the dream. I was like, I want to live in Chicago, work with you guys. I'll come down. I'll work when we make our stuff. Yeah. I'll stay there, and then we're done. Just come back up to Chicago, take whatever I earned, and just kind of live off that and keep working and making my own stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, and they're talking like, yeah, we'd like to you know, produce your ideas as we move along. I was like, that'd be great, man. Let's do it. Nice. Uh, so, you know, I'm just doing that. But, yeah, the school got here i it was just like the best thing that mm-hmm. kind of ever happened mm-hmm. uh so like you know what did you so what did you end up getting out of it see coming in with with a oh, production like background having learning made how to a properly feature. write a story okay like that was such a big thing like learning how to write and also how to like edit your own work and mm-hmm. learn how to like kill your darlings yeah that was huge for me cuz mm-hmm. Like, I, I used to criticize people who, like, wouldn't cut things out of their things. Like, oh, it's just too good. I couldn't get rid of it. It's like, you should have gotten rid of it. And then I look at my own work. It's like, I'm not getting rid of that. And people are like, you should probably cut that. I was like, what? Yeah. You know. So once I learned to, like, let that go, and I started realizing, oh, this is uh, this is the proper way to do this. Mm-hmm. So, like, just learning how to tell a story. And also, like, learning how to write better characters mm-hmm. is just a lot of that. But... 
the one thing I really wanted was like to develop a really strong work ethic, which I had during the whole school. And I was right. worried once it was over and I had all this free time that I wasn't, that I was going to lose it. And I kind of have a little bit mm -hmm. like, I can't just sit down and be like, I'm going to write. Like now it's be like, well, if I write, what am I going to do with it? Like I'm kind of falling back, but I I'm just kind of like an idle hands type person. Like I need to be doing something at all times in order to keep myself busy. If right. I don't, I'm just going to be like, well, I guess I'll watch TV. I guess I'll play video games instead of like doing something productive. Like, getting people together to shoot this thing yeah. that you're almost yeah. like me that I need to, I need to be over busy in yeah. order to get anything done. Yeah. Otherwise I procrastinate the hell, the hell like this 100%. week, uh, this, this is like the second productive thing that I've done this week that, <laughs> that I somehow like put together, like, yeah. you know, that everything else that I've done that's been any, in any way productive has been like somebody else calling me up and be like, Hey, you want to come do this? Yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But the, because this off week, I haven't had anything. Yeah. Uh, and so now it's, it's just like trying to, trying to put together a term that's going to be almost too busy, which is where this podcast came from. Yeah. It's like, let me throw one more thing in there. Cause it'll just give me something to repeatedly have to work on to make yeah. sure I'm getting something done, uh, so you so you have to overload with uh, with one hundred percent with stuff in order. Yeah, to, I love being busy. What's so. what what was your uh, what's your what's your over busy like benchmark of like the the busiest? like when it's too busy or like yeah. or like during the school year? How busy was it? Because like, like I I like I like to tell people like in college I was taking like a full course load and working three jobs mm -hmm. and also in a band. Yeah, <laughs> and was doing all that. Like what what was your like crazy during, during crazy the year? Setup? I think. The craziest that it got was actually maybe like the end of the first term or maybe, yeah, probably the end of the first term mm -hmm. because I had to like miss out on uh, like a few classes because and, and that, that then they like sent out and he was like, you can't miss class. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. And I thought it was my fault, but apparently like half a dozen people yeah. had missed class on the same day. I was like, oh, I didn't know that. I'm sorry. Like, but I was like, look, if I ever miss class, it's not because I don't want to go. Because because you've got something else that yeah yeah it's because I'm doing something for the school it just right. happens to fall like it's just a you know bad it's an unfortunate scheduling, um, which that, that that's the other thing like uh, I don't mean to criticize some of the other students but my whole thing is like we're paying a ton of money to come to yeah. this school why would you not go to class right you know just you're you're not like you're gonna get out what you put into it so my and whole thing is like I'm never gonna miss a class if I can help it and I think so. that that's something that like you and me and a few other people that have come here that have been you know later years compared to mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the student base i think we get that a little bit more yeah. it's it's like we know the value of it because I, I think back like i i think the same way but then i look back in college and i'm like oh yeah i skipped a, a ton of stuff oh, when i, I was there too college. yeah i'm a terrible and, student and, but it, and you would probably skip classes and things like that oh, and yeah. not, not took me forever to graduate because i just didn't like my film degree i was johnny on the spot every class go yeah. to it love it because i'm interested Anything that you, wasn't you wasn't related me. to go yeah. to Western civilization. Yeah, I just don't care. Yeah, that is not going to help me in my career, so I do not care, and that is why it took me, uh, you know, seven plus years to graduate college. Yeah, uh, <laughs> with a communications degree, uh, so which is immediately applicable, sort of some places, some places, but you know, mostly whatever. television news, yeah. which you hate. <laughs> yeah, like, pr pretty much. Yeah, uh, but no, like that—that's the whole thing. Like the school is just, you know. I, I just had a blast. Um, yeah. And what what stuff did you produce when you were here? Uh, as far as my own projects, I did my uh, my first. The first thing we did was a documentary. Mm -hmm. uh, I was also one of the few technical people in the school yeah. at the time. Like the the original Orange cohort, I think they had like a couple, like a few people that like were filmmakers, like Alex Mangin, mm -hmm. Will uh, 
why am I forgetting his name? I, I, I want to say Will Arnett. I know it's not Will Arnett. <laughs> um, Walt. Walt. <laughs> yeah. Walt, Walt I talked Walt to. Walt Arnett. Walt, Walt I talked to when, uh, um, when I was... Uh, like originally like thinking about coming here that's oh, the yeah. one that that uh julie like set me up a, a yeah a, a call with uh and i talked to him and i just i got very little out of him like yeah i <laughs> like no offense whatsoever to walt thank you for taking the time to have a call yeah. with me but that is part of the reason that this podcast exists yeah. is is because i wanted some way of being able to like if, if somebody else was looking at this yeah and they could listen to the podcast and exactly and yeah. find out what people's experiences I, were from somebody yeah. that, that knows what questions to ask because my big thing was he was he was like so what do you want to know i'm like uh, do you like it like i didn't yeah. know what to ask yeah um, oh that was like, like i i am now that guy for julie she like always for I always get emails from Randy. Because like, hey, Julie gave me your email. Said you could answer some questions. <laughs> like I've answered questions for like almost a dozen people. Yeah, like, both in person and through email. Like one of the people was Sam. Oh uh, yeah, he was. He like got accepted. He showed up and he just sat down and asked me questions for like an hour. I was like, yeah, man, what do you want to know? Um, the one person who was supposed to be in the school, but it was like a very late like acceptance, and she couldn't afford it. Mm. She was. She, she. I think she was. Would have been in like one of your guys's groups. Um, what was the name? Do you remember? Uh, Anastasia. Yes, she was actually like on our roster, like right at the beginning for a minute. Yeah, she was uh, great. She was supposed to be saying, yeah. They, they, like when she initially accepted, everyone was like, "Oh, thank God!" You know, because she was like such a nice person. Yeah. Uh, but then she's like, "It's just too short notice. I just moved here. I don't really have a job. Like she couldn't mm-hmm. afford it. That's like understandable." Um, maybe, maybe in a future cohort. Yeah, yeah. I I think that's the plan. But no, I just uh, I'm just always up there. So they're like, yeah. this guy knows everything about the school. Just uh, talk to him. It's like, all right. Yeah. So, and so, but yes, yeah, so you produced your. So, what was the documentary that you the did? Documentary was called Chicago's Retro Revival. It was a documentary about the revival of uh, retro video arcades, which is kind of a theme with me. Nice. Um, Leviathan, yeah, being part of that, yeah. yeah. And honestly, I was like, one of the that's one of the things I was super proud of because because I was the other reason I wanted to come here was because I knew I would create my own content mm-hmm. and being back in Mobile, like. I knew I had talent, but the people I was working with were way more talented than I was. Like, right. I wanted to direct. I wanted to shoot. But we had a DP. We had a director. So I was, like, more of the less the producer. And I would don't even think I was really being, like, what a legit producer right. is. I was just being my, our own idea of what a producer is. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, I want to direct. I want a DP. I want to do this stuff. But I was never going to get a chance to do that in Mobile. Because why would you give that to someone who's less talented than the mm-hmm. people that you're already working with? You know? Perfectly understandable. Right. So I wanted to create content while I was here. So that was the first thing I made. And the whole thing about being a technical person, like when I showed the test footage, I, ha- I rented a camera slider to get like nice B-roll and all this right. stuff. I ran a C100. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what I shot it on. And I just had the, the first shot. It was just a slider shot going past an arcade machine to reveal more arcade machines. And the entire class was like, what? <laughs> they were like, what did you do? I was like, it's just a slider shot. It's like, it's beautiful. I was like, yeah. Yeah. You guys are going to learn a lot. Because that's the thing. The majority of the students that come here have never touched a camera before. Right. So I was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of awesome. You know, <laughs> I like, you know, a little boost of confidence. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that was, I actually am really proud of that. I really would like to submit that places. But it's already been online and it's got like... Well, you know, minimal views after I posted it to Reddit or something. You know, right. I got like a little bit of, you know, it's got like 700 views, not big. But I could still post it somewhere. Um, but through that, I met the owner of the Underground Retrocade in West Dundee, mm-hmm. where I shot The Leviathan, which is my final film. Right. I walked in and was like, hey, you mentioned like if we need to 
shoot a movie or something here. You said, and before I came, he was like, whatever you want, it's yours. That's awesome. <laughs> he, he was like, he was so on board. He was the nicest guy ever. I made him a producer because he literally produced things yeah. that I needed. I was like, we're running out of hard drive space. He's like, I got a hard drive at home. I'll go get it. That Just was, gave me a friggin' hard drive. <laughs> that was the guy that uh, uh, that I got for my for my documentary. So I did one about uh, I don't know if you've seen the uh, the Craigslist Inc. Yeah. Um, it, so the the guy that that actually got the the tattoo, he was the first one to respond to the Craigslist ad, mm-hmm. and I had many others, and the, some of which were hysterical. Yeah. Uh, but he was the most more, most normal sounding guy that that didn't have any other quarrels. He was like, "Yeah, let's do it." Like, I don't need, yeah. I don't have any other questions. You've listed out everything I needed to know. Like, uh, and so when I start setting up the for the tattoo. I find the the spot and get it, you know, reserve the time and all that stuff. And I was like, oh, we should do like a little pre-interview thing. We should do that someplace nearby. He's like, oh, there's a coffee shop nearby. Uh, I was like, oh, yeah, I can, I can, you know, we can just head over there. Uh, and he called them up and got like got them to sign off on it. Got the space reserved there. Like he did all that for it. And I was like, dude, that's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> like I didn't ask that at all, but yeah. uh, but it was just it, it made it extra easy. And so yeah, in my mind, he's he's a producer. On it yeah, because of that. I mean, sometimes people go above and beyond, and you just got to give credit where credits due. Yeah. So, uh, but no, I did that, and uh, my first term final project was something called uh, the Eradicator. Was, did you have to do adaptation at that time? Was it the same type of project? Technically, yes. Uh, my whole thing, and I actually was questioned this by both Jack and Trevor. Uh, they're like, why didn't you choose to adapt a Second City sketch? And my whole thing was they say that, you know, whatever you make, you have full ownership over. Right. That's one of the cool things about school. It's like the school can't claim it. Like, oh, this is our content, all right. this stuff. But my whole thing is like, all right, that's cool, but you're telling us to adapt copyrighted content that the Second City owns. Right. And I told them, it's like, well, why didn't you just do that? I was like, because if I'm paying, you know, so that was my justification. They're like, all right, because that was the other thing. In the first term, we were talking about, you know, rules and all this stuff. And Jack just straight up told us in one of our Jack meetings, like, look, here's the thing. We're not an accredited school. You don't get grades. Technically, you can do whatever you want and we can't stop you. Right. I was like, oh, cool. I'm going to make my own sketch. Mm -hmm. So I workshopped it in a class. Everyone loved it. Uh, It ended up being a little different than what we did in the class. Um, but yeah, it was basically these two guys in an office lunch, you know, mm-hmm. kitchen eating their lunch. And one guy's like, brings this ridiculous sandwich out called the Eradicator. He's like, didn't you just have a triple bypass like a month ago? He's like, oh, who cares? You know, and he ends up getting a heart attack, uh, after I show this like Hardy's Carl's Jr. style commercial yeah. that show, which it, it was a ridiculous concoction. It was, uh. Bacon-wrapped chicken tenders smothered with uh, juicy Philly cheesesteak smothered in creamy Velveeta wedged between two Boston cream-filled donuts that have been face-fucked with liverwurst. <laughs> so this that is was the, the whole thing. It's the Taco Town taco bit from, Pretty much. Uh, from, from SNL. Yeah, yeah that, that, that's still one of my favorite SNL yeah. commercials. Uh, and then, so then he like goes to bite it, and he doesn't even touch it, and he gets a heart attack. And as he dies, he says, tell my wife I died in a gunfight. And then he just keels over. And I, that was an idea I had ages ago, and I just thought that was the funniest last thing to say to somebody. Because there's, there's been a bunch of sketches where it was like, tell my wife I don't fucking love her. Yeah, you know, like Just exactly. things like that. I was like, tell my wife I died in a gunfight. It's like, how? And then the guy's just like, what? And then it just cuts to him like in a situation where he had just told the wife, but they're not saying anything. Yeah. And it's just awkward. Uh, but no one really dug that thing, so I was like, maybe I should just cut that. And he's like, tell my wife I died in a gunfight. And then he's just confused, and then credits roll. Yeah. Um, so I really like that, but uh, 
I don't know. It was uh, it was good. People always were like, that that commercial is fantastic. It's like, really? It's it's just food on a white background. It's in slow motion. <laughs> but that's what plays. It's what plays slow motion. Um, so I did that. My term two was something that I was in because I couldn't get an actor to do it. Mm-hmm. Couldn't find one. Uh, that's always a struggle. Mm-hmm. Called the uh, the Hansy Craftsman with Kelpie Barnhart. Okay. I uh, shot it like it was a found footage public access show. Okay. I made some really shitty fake commercials to like come before and after. And the whole premise is it's this uh, craftsman guy, this home, you know, like Bob Vila-esque mm-hmm. type person, except he's like super effeminate and just like, you know, just, just, just doing this, y'all. You know, yeah. he's just like the southern effeminate guy. Who sucks at his job? He just okay. like the intro is like clips from past shows, and he's just fucking up. Okay. And uh, this one, he's just gonna teach you how to hammer a nail real hard and one good whack, and he ends up just hitting himself in the head with a hammer and like stumbling around, and then it still cuts to commercials. Then it cuts back, he's still stumbling around, and then he just dies, and then it it's just really long, and yeah, silly. Did you ever see the Red Green Show? The Red Green Show. I think it was the Red Green something. Show. I think it was what it was called. It was, and I want to say it was the same sort of like failure at at home. Yeah, uh, but it was an actual like n- not public access, but like nineties, like yeah, you know. Uh, I don't. It wasn't SCTV, but it was in that same vein. I remember from when I lived up in Minnesota. Yeah. So let's track track that down. See if that's if that fits in the same yeah. vein. But yeah. So uh, was so that was your term two. Yeah, and then and term the three was Leviathan. Yeah. So and in between, I worked on. I, I had to put this on cover letters as I submitted the jobs. Like I worked on over twenty different short films and sketches. You yeah. know, doing DP work, grip work, sound work, mm-hmm. whatever. Because you know, being technical guy, because that's the other thing. Being in Mobile, there's no talent source to draw from for all these individual positions. Like here in Chicago, if you need a DP, you can find a hundred DPs. If you need a sound mixer, there's a bunch of sound mixers. If you need this, yeah, there's all that. But in Mobile, there aren't any, so you have to learn how to do everything yourself. Right. Like you need to run sounds. Like I've never worked this before. Like it just do this. It's like okay. That was DC. DC, you could find you could find all of them, but Mm -hmm. they're they're all going to be paid. Yeah. So if you're doing something for your own, um, you know, the you're not going to find that stuff for free. And so over time, I just taught myself how to do yeah all those things until I found somebody who else who was interested in them enough to learn it and do it themselves. So like. I got my, you know, my last roommate before I moved, uh, I got him into sound and video. And so he went out and bought like a Rode NTG3 and boom pole mm-hmm. and a uh, uh, sound mixer and was and started learning how to do sound production. Yeah. Uh, and I, I was like, great. Now I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> like, yeah. Know? But it, it's, it, it's, it's interesting, you know, you, necessity is it's not the mother of invention for videographers is the mother of just training yeah yeah <laughs> it just forces it you to go learn how to, how to go do something that you may not be particularly great at or comfortable with or anything yeah. like that but you but, just have to do it in order but at the to same time fortunately like I, I i had to do a lot of like sound mixing recording on set because there were two other uh tech guys in our group mitchell mm-hmm. beckett and preston jeter and uh they got a lot of the dp gigs that i wanted yeah uh, but they're super talented they know what the what the fuck they're doing right uh so i would always wind up doing sound which is fine mm-hmm. uh but i didn't like it because sound is like you're staring at levels you're not watching the yeah. entertaining thing that's being that's happening you're not getting any of the visual enjoyment from it right. you're just looking at a screen making sure levels don't peak and twisting knobs 
and it's ultimately a very thankless job like because yeah. pe- people take it for granted and yet it's the most important thing mm-hmm. and i was like oh this sucks but then i realized it's not that i don't like it it's that i don't like using this particular thing for onset sound mixing this mm-hmm. zoom h6 very handy recorder but because it's a literal handheld recorder all the things are on. I was like, hey, we need to run like four lobs in a boom. It's like, that's really hard to do with this thing out in the middle of nowhere. So I got like, got to mount it to a tripod or bring a table out there so you could do it. It's like the most, the, this thing that's supposed to be super convenient and mm-hmm. handheld and you end up needing extra stuff to make sure you can actually handle it. Like there's a photo of me running lobs off of this with them all clipped in my coat and I look like a bomber because the lobs are only like, you know, like a one foot long lob. XLR things like it's really inconvenient so I've been like clamoring just like asking Tim and Jack's like please just get like a field a a zoom f4 field recorder it's Mm -hmm. basically just a field recorder version of this please just get it it'll sound better it's not that much more expensive and also it's so much easier to work on like you could literally mix and boom at the same time Mm -hmm. if you just have one of these instead of having to like oh how do I hold all these lav packs you know yeah and I just realized, because I've used an F8 before, and I've actually sound mixed, like, live onto sound mixing and booming for, like, a local reality show in, like, mm-hmm. Pensacola, Florida. And it was fine. I yeah. D- I did it just fine. And Yeah, they, I mean... And, and it wasn't that bad, because you, as you're booming, you get to watch. Right. You know, you can listen, mix, and do that stuff, but you still get to watch. So you get, like, the visual enjoyment out of being on set, of, like, mm-hmm. watching what's unfolding in front of you, instead of just, you know, staring at... Uh, little screen and mm-hmm. levels going up and down so i actually wouldn't mind doing sound mixing if i had proper gear well and all right so one thing i will toss out i don't know if you recognize this for the for the zooms they actually have mounts for a lot for a uh for a sh- oh yeah uh, strap. strap and so so you can mount it up somewhat similar to, to those but it's also like down there and it's you know it's yeah it, 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 it's still not perfect. No, no. Yeah. But uh, but, but for, but, but for I have the price, seen that. I have seen that before. Because like this guy, you know, the the kit that I got this with, it was like two hundred and fifty bucks. So it was yeah. it was a good amount cheaper than than what you got with the uh, with the you know with the yeah. uh, uh, F four. Yeah, uh, well, the F four is only five fifty. Sure, that's not bad. But that's over double the price of what I paid for this. It one. is, but you're getting double the features and double the quality. Uh, you're getting better preamps. You're getting uh, double. Double. But at any rate, I, I mean, you're getting so limiters. I, I just joined digital, that. I just joined that frugal filmmaker thing on yeah. on Facebook because I I hadn't heard of it before. Yeah. And somebody brought it up, and it's amazing how much, like somebody will go on there and say, "Oh, I shot this with a phone and you know a two hundred dollar zoom recorder, yeah, and here's what it is." And I, I edited myself and did all the color yeah. correction myself, and everybody's like, "Oh, you have to spend way more." And it's like, no, this yeah. is called a frugal filmmaker. Like yeah. the the whole idea is geared towards like how do you make something as yeah. inexpensively as possible that still ends up looking good. And at the end of the day, it's about learning to use the equipment that you've got. Yeah. And like, I mean, the fact that I got here and, and there were a lot of people that didn't realize that the, that the zooms had like a, a safety, uh, yeah. peak. I that, didn't know that until like four months ago. Yeah. Uh, might've been when I told everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> well, so I, I, I learned from, uh, Danya Khan, uh, yeah. who in the original orange, she's like, yeah, there's a backup recording. She was like, I did not know that. Yeah. That would have been useful information to have been told at the beginning. Like, yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> like, the entire that, time that you're just running low version. levels so you don't clip. And right. You're, you're uh, just, which is what, like, the Tascam stuff that's in the yeah. same, you know, the D60D. I, had, I have one of those, uh, yeah. but the I left batteries in it for too long and they leaked. And so they, they ruined the battery compartment on it. Uh, so the only way it works is with a is with an external battery yeah. pack, which 
isn't terrible, but yeah. it's also only yeah. like two. Which the other thing a lot of people don't realize you can power this with a USB power bank. Like yeah, that's the other well, thing. It's powered off the off the laptop. So I'm, yeah. I'm using for those that don't know, I'm using the H6 actually as my interface for the podcast. Yeah. So um, it's actually running off the laptop. That's part of the reason I wanted to plug the laptop in because yeah. that's where it's getting all the power. So I'm not yeah. wasting the double A's that are yeah. in this guy. To, but but, to but that's like this. another thing you don't realize because you open up those kits, you see the USB cable that powers it and it's still wrapped up. No one ever uses it. They don't realize that right. that will power your thing. So yeah. you don't have to keep going through double A's. You don't have to keep yeah. doing it. So now we're just getting off on gear talk. Yeah, um, I kind of expected like this it. this one of of all yeah. of the interviews to go to I'm go a gear different. Nerd. And this will come with a, a heavy disclaimer up front about the the gear nerdiness of this. One. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I've been uh, I've been trying to see. So you've been doing workshops and stuff for the school. And, yeah, and I that's something I want to get into. Yeah. doing more my, of my, my whole approach to the workshops wasn't like teaching people how to use it properly. It was teaching them what it is and how to set it and just like what we have at our disposal because right. that was the thing like we the, I, I sat in on a few on a few workshops i sat in on a sound workshop and that the teachers were doing like vince that was the first time i met vince and he did this whole scientific approach to the sound workshop it's like a cardioid microphone is this pattern and it does this and it right. represents and i was like that's really useful stuff but i think that's more in class useful yeah not workshop use workshop users should be hey this is the h6 you turn it on this way, this is how you hit record. This is the options you just set up that are probably optimal for recording. Right. Like, I think that is more useful for a workshop. So when I did the lighting workshop, I was like, these are the lights we have. This is how you use them. Right. These are the some techniques you can use to get the most out of them. Uh, and see, that here's was, what I recommend. Here's what I don't. That was my pitch to Tim uh, to Tim Schmidt, who runs the yeah. Uh, um, I pitched so much here. to Tim. Uh, <laughs> I, but that was my, my pitch to him for the, for the workshops. I said, why don't we set up and do literally three tiers of workshops? Yeah. And you have... Your, your level one, which is, I don't really want to do this, but if somebody p- forces me into X role on a set, I yeah. don't want to ruin, ruin their film because I don't yeah. know what I'm doing. So that's that's level one. So that's yeah. that's the lighting workshop that you were just talking yeah. about. Um, and then level two is, I don't really know this, but I want to get to know it, which is vin- drifting more into what sounds like Vince was doing, yeah. which, which is a little bit more, all right, In so depth. here's the art form behind it. You know, yeah. Not just how to record sound, but how to make that sound better. What are the trip ticks, uh, tri- tips and tricks, can't say yeah. that, that uh, that will uh, help you get better quality. And then level three is I'm a complete nerd in this stuff, and I want to have you know the conversation yeah. that you and I are having right now on, yeah. on, a, a, on on some level with somebody. And we have all three of those, and you you linchpin those together then with a um, actually want to do like an office hours type thing, where like I'll come in on like Friday and bring in like Jan or you know other technical yeah. people that are in the school, maybe have you come in for it and just. Hang out and be available to come ask technical questions. Yeah, and and so That's anybody can idea. come by and you know we'll do it in the in the screening room or something like that so that people can just come in and sit sit and listen and have their lunch or something like that yeah. while it's going on. Because like know? that that's the one thing that they tell you right off the bat is that this isn't a technical school. The whole point right. is behind storytelling and crafting these stories and being a better you know creative storyteller, which I get. Um, but I'm a big fan of Robert Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. Uh, like none of his movies are in my top 10, maybe not even my top 20, but he's maybe my favorite director because of his DIY attitude and his very first 10 minute film school he did, which I believe is on the special features of the from dusk till dawn DVD. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says something that I absolutely adore. And it says, he's like, be technical. He's like, you're already creative. You're already a step ahead of everyone else. If mm-hmm. you're creative, you, you can't teach creativity. If you're creative, then you're already ahead of everyone else. Mm-hmm. But creative people rely on technical people. But if you te- you can teach yourself to be technical. 
So if you're creative and you're technical, you're unstoppable. Right. So that's kind of my whole philosophy is if you can handle all this and you know, because also just knowing about it mm-hmm. will lend itself so much better. Like if you're just going to direct, but you know, you know, the basics of being a DP, you know, the basics of right. sound mixing, you can better understand when your sound mixer is doing something and you're like, what's the hold up? You're like, oh, he's doing that. Okay. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. you, right. you're not going to be like, why is this taking so long? Why are we behind? It's like, oh, because these people have to do this. Right. You have a better understanding and you can also work around it. You know how to plan around those issues. Right. So my whole thing is if you, the, the, the more, you know, you know, not to bring that, you know, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> it's just so much more useful on a set no matter which role you're doing. Right. So, yeah, I'm all about learning as much as I can about everything. Like, last year, I was learning all about lighting. Yeah. Like, I didn't really know much about lighting, but I knew I wanted to be, like, I already knew a lot about, like, cameras and, you know, uh, God, I'm losing it now, composition. Right. All that stuff. And then I was like, well, I want to do more DP stuff and, you know, cinematography stuff running camera, but you also got no lighting. And I was like, oh, lighting's kind of like, not my strong so i just spent like the whole year learning about lighting learning about different lights just like literal like oh this is the aperture amaran fl one you know like all these lights and learning how they're used and Mm -hmm. how you can use them and now i've been learning about sound yeah learning about all these different pieces of gear that i want yeah um (laughs) so yeah i'm just trying to teach myself something new each year that i can get like a really firm grasp on and that's the thing like i've Learned a lo- I've learned a lot about sound, and I still haven't really used any advanced sound gear, but I right. feel like if you put it in my hands, I'll know exactly what to do. You have a better do. idea, yeah, exactly how to use it. So, well, and the funny thing is with this, you know, the, the other advice that I've, I've heard too is don't, you don't need to spend so much time getting into the weeds on, on the technical stuff yeah. because by the time you learn it all and switch to go learn something else, you're going to be, you're, you're going to be aged out of whatever the technology yeah. was at that point in time yeah. for it. So it's, it's not something where you have to learn that stuff, but I agree like the, yeah. the, the being able to understand it on, on the gist level yeah. of what's going on with somebody else in the production at yeah. some point in time, Cause just to know how much time you need yeah. to budget when you're setting up, when you're scheduling a shoot yeah. to know how much time lighting set up. Well, if you've done a lighting setup, you you know how long a lighting setup takes. Yeah. And if, you've, if you're looking for something very specific and you've tried to do that yourself, you may think, well, I was crappy at it, so I'm slower, so it took me a lot of time. Okay, but um, you know, if you allot that same amount of time for it that it yeah. took you to do it and then you bring in somebody that's better at it, they're going to be able to do all that you could do and then some you yeah. know, and start to bring some artistic touch to it. But you, you have that benchmark to know, oh, in this room lighting a, a three-light setup, this takes me 45 minutes to set up a, you know, a lighting setup up you know it's going to take somebody else at least that time i'll budget that when i'm starting to put yeah. the film together yeah so it's, it's helpful always, to know that's things. always been a thing like on a lot of sets where there were people that didn't have a technical knowledge right. it was being lit by people that knew what they were doing it's like how long is this going to take it's like right. about another 30 minutes like really it's like yeah i mean if you want because and that's the other thing that i learned early on especially on my documentary is mm-hmm. lighting is also key um you know not to be a pun uh no, but you made one. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Not you know, unintentional. Uh, I, I think you retconned that pun. <laughs> maybe. You could have uh, just let that go. Nobody, I, uh, <laughs> nobody thought a light. People that yeah. are lighting nerds would be like, oh, oh I just made a key notice. lighting reference. Yeah. Dope. Uh, no, like I interviewed the owner of the Galloping Ghost, which is the world's largest arcade out in Brookfield, Illinois. Mm-hmm. And we were shot, shooting on the C100, which is an amazing low light camera. It looks great naturally. You That's what it. I got. Yep. I know. I'm I'm jealous. Uh, or you could just come work with me on stuff. I could. Uh <laughs> But it's uh, 
it just looks great naturally. And we yeah. were in a location where there was enough natural light coming in, and the shot looked clean. It looked great. Mm-hmm. And we shot it. I was like, yeah, that's fantastic. But then we went to the retrocade where it's very dark, and we had to light them. So I lit them using a basic three-point setup with the LED lights we have. Right. The difference in how one looks to the other. Same camera, mm-hmm. but one was lit a standard professional lighting setup right. for interviews and the other was lit with just natural light. It is night and day that the one that I lit is so much better mm-hmm. and it looks so much more professional. It looks like right. a proper thing. Whereas this one looks like, Oh, it looks like I just turn a camera on and hit record. Right. It's a great image, but yeah, I was, once I realized that like, it's now every time I'm on a set where it's like, Hey, we got some uh, natural light coming in. Everything's really bright in here. It looks really well exposed. Like, let's use some lights yeah like you e- even when it's well lit you just like you, you use a hair light use a, a fill light just right. something because it's always going to show and it's always going to look better mm-hmm. so that's just i'm getting off on another tangent um <laughs> but they're so easy to get off on are. tangents uh so, well, yeah. so, all right. So, uh, moving into kind of final advice. If somebody were considering coming to the school and they are, especially with a, with a technical background, yeah. what, uh, what advice would you give to them? What would you, what would you say was the, the biggest thing that they, that they're going to get out of it? With a technical background, I think what you're going to get out of it is a lot of stuff to put on a reel. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, like I know people who had no background, they pretty much worked on their own movies and did like a couple, they helped out here and there, mm-hmm. like, uh, doing PA stuff or maybe running sound in a pinch. But if you have a technical background, you will do a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. And like my entire CV, my curriculum vitae that Mm -hmm. I put on my resume now, which I had to start doing because my actual resume looks like garbage. um, Just for like 2017 alone, it's like 25 different projects. Just something crazy. Um, And like I've done enough stuff so people say, oh, this guy knows what he's doing on a bunch of things. Yeah. Um, and you're going to make content. Yeah. That's the one thing that the school will have you do is you will make content, whether it's writing or visual. I mean, I always say this whenever people, whenever Julie forwards people to me, mm-hmm. to, it's like, oh, like, well, what do you do throughout the year? It's like, well, here's what I did. I shot a documentary. Mm-hmm. I shot two sketches. I made a short film. I worked on about 20 other projects. Mm-hmm. I wrote two first acts of two features i wrote two pilots i wrote three story bibles yeah like you are going to make so much stuff um and that's the other thing as far as the writing goes i know some people focus on like one idea all year to make it great Mm -hmm. my philosophy was explore all your ideas right as often as you can because i would rather leave the school with like the starting point of seven ideas Mm -hmm than one really well fleshed out idea because that's the other thing they say when you get in these pitch meetings if you ever get a chance to do one of those you could be so passionate about this idea like everyone's gonna love this and someone's gonna be like i don't like it what else you got and if you didn't work on anything yeah yeah. so i I wanted to be well prepared uh so i worked on a ton of stuff yeah so now i got a bunch of ideas i can advance upon draw upon keep developing right so yeah if you if you're just starving to make content and you're one of the people like me who needs a purpose to do it like i like a lot of the stuff i shot this year stuff that i've had in my head for years that i never shot because i was like oh what's the point right who's gonna see it no one's gonna watch this right why should i waste my time and money to make put this together and get it made if no one's gonna see it right but this forces you to yeah it forces the, you to do it and also people watching people it are, are going to see it people yeah. who have influence and right 
have great advice to give based on what you're doing. Like they can teach you to be better. That was the one thing with Leviathan. I made it and I wrote the script. It was like 12 pages. I was like, eh, it'll probably be around 10 and a half, 11 minutes. It ended up being 12 minutes, mm-hmm. exactly like you know the formula says. Right. And I was so happy with it when I did the first. It was like script to screen. I was like, this is fantastic. Yeah. I'm so happy with this. Then I showed it to everyone. It's like, you need to cut this out. You need to cut this out. I was like, what? And I was like, yeah, you need to get this down to seven and a half minutes because they were also telling us that we only had a limited time in the screening, <laughs> which was really upsetting. <laughs> like at, for all year long, like, you're going to want it to be seven and a half minutes. It's going to make it a lot better. And then they told us it's got to be seven and a half minutes. We have a time limit. I was like, I was so like this. I was like saying, like, I'm not going to cut my thing down to fit a time limit. Yeah. You know, and then I just did it. And I was like, fine, I'll humor you, Jack. <laughs> I, I've told him this before. Like, I was very combative at first, but then I just took his advice and I cut things out and I started making it tighter and shorter. And I was like, fuck, they're right. This is so yeah, much better. It is. Um, and, uh, like, honestly, the tighter you can make something, the shorter it mm-hmm. is. Like, the when you realize this, this does not serve the story. Like, you like it. It's funny, but yeah. it doesn't serve a purpose. Get rid of it. I haven't, so I haven't made something of my own here that's longer than four minutes. Yeah. No, like, that's, that's that's easy to, you know, but that, work with. Yeah, but the, and the, like that's that's it makes it first off it actually makes it easier on yourself because you're you're trying to reduce down to as little stuff coming out of it as yeah. possible, but it's like if you've ever done cooking, it's reducing something down. It's yeah. just getting the most flavor out of whatever you just put together that you possibly can uh without like just completely destroying it. And yeah. it's it's just getting it down to that. And so yeah, any kind of forcing to to push stuff down. That was great with 48-hour film festival, 72 film fest when I did those yeah. were just forcing you to uh to take something that you shot and could easily be eight and a half, nine minutes and compress it down to six minutes or less because yeah. that's what fits the submission goals yeah. for it. That was uh, the only time I got any sort of like personal creativity was when they did these film scrambles in Mobile. Yeah. Which ended up not being actual film scrambles. Like it started off as like a 48 hour film scramble and we had 40 hours doing me and my buddy, uh, Tony West, who helped me out on the vine. He came up, helped mm-hmm. me out. Uh, he, he was pretty much my uh, filmmaking creative partner in mobile mm-hmm. like uh that when we did our own projects and uh we would make the funniest best quality ones because we had the better experience than the other people because everyone else was just kind of like local artists that were just having fun and yeah. expanding their creativity we were filmmakers trying to do this so we had a lot of fun doing that and then they took it over and the people that weren't filmmakers that were coming in they weren't used to like staying up for 48 hours and making a movie right so they're like is it okay if i turn it in like the day before the screening a week from now and the curators were like, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. So we busted our ass for 48 hours to make something. And it got to a point where now the film scrambles are like three weeks long. Yeah. And I was like, and you know what happens every time we're like, Hey, we got three weeks. That means we can make something really badass. We just wait till like the weekend that before it's due. And we wound up like spending 48 hours to see. And I think we work better under pressure. You can humor those because uh, so they do that for, for like the actual like 48 hour film, uh, project is like yeah. an, an international thing. Yeah, yeah. Started in DC, yeah. uh, but they they do that with that one where if you submit late, they have a late due time, and up until that late time, they will still screen it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're not eligible no, for prizes yeah. or, or or moving on. Or that's what they like tried that. to do with that at first, but then it just got to the point where like 90 percent of the people were not doing it within 48 <sighs> hours. So sad. So they just had to compensate for that, and that's so know. dumb. And yeah. honestly, that made for you know not to be you know hypercritical of 
the talent in Mobile, but it honestly made things worse. It really? Like the quality, because they had more time and they like spent more time, sh- they shot longer things. There was one that was like half an hour long, and uh, I was like, why is it so long? It's like there was just too much good shit. We couldn't cut any of it. I was like, <laughs> if, if they ever wind up listening to this, they'll know exactly who I'm talking about. And, and guys, I'm sorry. You were, these were like the first movies you guys made. You're professionals now. Some yeah. of them are like on set, like camera assistants for Hopefully feature films. Hopefully you look back at that now and go, yeah, yeah that was too long. Well, you <laughs> learn from your mistakes and your your past, you know, projects. Right. Like if, like I, the stuff I shot in college was garbage. I'd never want anyone to see that. Right. But unfortunately you can find it if you look hard enough <laughs> and I can't get rid of it. <laughs> Uh, like I my, my, my IMDb page is a joke. Oh yeah, it's it's just full of stuff that I got added onto without my permission, and I can't get it taken <laughs> off because IMDb is run by individual people, and they got to work to pay. To, I yeah. I do. I have I have IMDb Pro. It's like, hey, please remove this. I own this movie. I directed it. I edit it. it is my property, and I did not put this up there. Yeah, uh, there was this great. Um, little film scramble that was done by a friend of mine in Mobile. She's a middle school teacher, and in Alabama they have this, I don't know if it's like a national thing or if it's just Alabama, where the seventh graders and like sixth and seventh graders, they have to write a story within 30 minutes. Right. And then the teachers pick the best one, and they give out awards and stuff like that. But basically they she curated like the best like 20, mm-hmm. and then they made a film scramble. Like filmmakers would come, they would draw a random story, and then they would have to develop that into a short film. It was a great little... That's cool. Wonderful competition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was one that was really popular, and one of the filmmakers that drew it, he had to drop out. He couldn't do it. So I stepped in to make it last minute, just in a day. Yeah. Like, just really quickly, really just... Happen- it was one of the worst things I've ever made. Right. But it was silly, and it was yeah. fun, and everyone liked it because the story was so... It was called the Walmart Ninja Incident. Okay. <laughs> it was silly. Uh very poorly made, bad green screen, all intentionally that way because I was like, we're just getting out there because the kid who wrote it, he's, you know, he's a, he's a nice kid, but he wasn't like the coolest kid. Right. So, but this story made him kind of popular for, you know, nice. a little bit. So it was like a big thing. And I'm pretty sure that kid added it to IMDb, put it on my IMDb page, and now I'm listed as the director of the Walmart Engines. Everyone on the crew is in there. He just took the credits and put it up on IMDb, oh. I think. Yeah. And that's the thing. You can do that. I can make something up and put you as a director on it. I can yeah. make Tony Lazzaroni the director of Fuck Mountain, the movie. Yeah. And I'd be like, all right, cool. And then you, Tony Lazzaroni, will get on IMDb. Hey, this is not a real movie. Please take this down. And they will never touch it because who gives a fuck about Tony Lazzaroni? I got to right. worry about Jennifer Lawrence. Right. We're IMDb. I have tried for years mm-hmm. to get stuff removed from my IMDb, and I cannot do it. It is a nightmare jungle and i hate that hmm. they're like there's only like two things on that i'll be like yeah leave that on there the rest yeah. is just garbage that i did not put on like, i'm listed as like the website developer for a movie i did no work for <laughs> i did not like they i remember they <laughs> talked to me about it but it was for a movie that wasn't that one yeah and they listed me i was like i didn't do anything yeah but now i'm the fucking website developer for freaking army force seven or some bullshit straight yeah. to dvd action movie Oh, I'm just I'm ranting now. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I IMDb is like the word like, and that's like now I'm getting to this professional status. I'm trying to do like professional things. Now right. people look me up. They're gonna see my IMDb is like, what the fuck is all this? Right. It's like, uh, you know what? I don't know. 
Do you want to see the movie that I was in in college that our college teacher directed on film called Quidmaster 5000? Mm-hmm. Well, it's on my IMDb and I can't get it taken down. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I've got like three oh, credits yeah. on my IMDb and uh, one of them my producer put up there, which is fine, but it's not the best thing that we've done. Like I kind of yeah. want to go add a bunch of other stuff that we've created yeah. just to bury it, to yeah. make it, you know, to put it far down uh, down the list. Uh, which I think is the approach that a lot of people end up taking. It's just like just make a ton of other stuff, put those credits up, and so yeah. at least then it's it's the, you know, nobody's going to click down through all your stuff to see the worst things you've done. They're going to look at the most recent that's generally yeah. better, and so that's that maybe the the yeah. easiest way to oh, get around it. My, my buddy Sith, he like was like an editor for like half of the this project. This like it was like one of the first films that was made in Alabama. They made it for like fifty thousand. It was this production company that had got the red one mm-hmm. at the time, biggest camera in the yeah, world. Yeah. And uh, the the director of it was just like a pile of shit to people. Mm-hmm. And my buddy Sith, he quit, and they still listed him as like editor. Right. He's like, please take me off these credits. This movie's terrible. Take me off the credits. And he had to fight them for a long time to do it. And so they took him out of the credits, but he was still on the IMDb. He had to spend six months convincing IMDb that he was who he said he was mm-hmm. and that he was not listed in the credits and that he won his name. He had to spend half a year to get an editor credit removed. Hmm. It is a nightmare process. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, uh, from the advice standpoint, you will create stuff. Oh, yeah. You will create advice, stuff to uh, bury things on your IMDb. For yeah. <laughs> stuff that will, you know, a- any one of your classmates will embarrass your IMDb by just yeah. throwing it up there. Uh, well, so if people, uh, in, in wrap up here, if people want to track you down uh, besides <laughs> on the IMDb, uh, which yeah. now they're going to search for you. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Where else can That's they great. find you? Uh, I pretty much am just on Instagram and Facebook. I have a Twitter, but I don't use it. What's the, what's uh, the Instagram? It's a, uh, at Logan McBose. Logan so, McBose. So it's my last name is spelled B O W E S. So I just threw a Mick in front of it to make it more Irish. Logan McBose. You can do that with <laughs> anyone's name, like either a Mick or an O. Yeah. Tony Lazzaroni. Oh, that sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I will so, never do that one. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the time, man. Yeah, absolutely. It was fun. That was Logan Bose. Thank you to Logan and to the Harold Ramis Film School and Second City staff for their help. The song on this week's episode was When We Get Home by Derek Every. Check out more of Derek's music at DerekEvery.com. That's D-E-R-E-K-E-V-R-Y. This show was recorded and edited by me, Tony Lazzaroni. If you want to hear more from me and my classmates, teachers, and a few special guests, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. If you have questions or comments, send us an email at filmstudentpod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram at filmstudentpod. And be sure to check out some of my and my classmates' work at filmstudentpod.com, including our newest edition, Art House Rock, which was written and directed by my classmate Ian Mullen and starring former guests Robbie Justice and Will N. Wilcox. And one last reminder, the submission deadline for the fall class at the Harold Ramis Film School is May 31st. Find out more at secondcity.com slash herald-ramus. See you all next week. Class dismissed. <laughs>